scripture reading for today is from the book of Daniel, chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 is the entire chapter. Uh, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground, so that it stood on two feet like a man, and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, Get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it, it, it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven uh, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws. The beast had crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them, until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. 
he gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the, the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, after them another king will ri- arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times and half a time. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven, whole, whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. We were away for a couple of weeks. Just give me a moment, please. Um, Yeah, so the first week of uh, September, we were in Cornerstone, and uh, we were ministering there. They had just celebrated... 12th anniversary, the 12th anniversary, and so we went on the heels of that. Um, then uh, last week we were in Bethesda, uh, and uh, it's good to be back here this week. Um, so we'll, uh, why are you all so serious? Just look at me please once. <laughs> all of you smile at me. <laughs> A joke, okay. <laughs> Pradeep, can you smile at me? <laughs> Thank you. All right. Um, We have worked our way, I think, through six chapters of the book of Daniel, and um, as is very clear from the reading, we will study the seventh chapter today, and so please give me your undivided attention. There's a lot of beasts and horns and animals and all of that. Uh, Don't sleep off. If you do, you you might come up with a different interpretation of uh, one of the beasts there. All right. So about a generation ago, uh, a great evangelical pastor by the name of Ray Stedman You would have heard of him. He put it this way about the world. He said, all voices agree together, secular and sacred alike, that we are coming to an unprecedented time of trouble in the world. And we shall never again see anything that could be regarded as normal times. We shall never again see anything that could be regarded as normal times. As I read these words when I was preparing for the sermon, I thought as though these words were spoken this morning, looking at all that is happening in the world. And I thought to myself, every bit of this statement is absolutely true. I was, in fact, reading an article by a man by the name of John Murray Guheno. And those of you who've heard his name will understand immediately that he was uh, the Undersecretary General for about eight years for peacekeeping operations in the United States. And he keeps writing articles about the geopolitical maneuverings of the world. I I read him regularly. But in January, I had read an article, and I was preparing for the sermon, and God in his providence uh, brought this to light again to me. And uh, I read this, and he prophetically wrote an article. He's not a believer, but it almost seems seems like it is prophetic 
looking at all that's happened in the last nine months. He wrote an article in the month of Jan entitled, 10 Conflicts to Watch in 2017. 10 Conflicts to Watch in 2017. And the first paragraph began this way. The world is entering its most dangerous chapter in decades. The sharp uptick in war over recent years is outstripping our ability to cope with the consequences. From the global refugee crisis to the spread of terrorism, our collective failure to resolve conflict is giving birth to new threats and new emergencies. And then he went on to say, even peaceful societies, even in peaceful societies, the politics of fear is leading to dangerous polarization and demagoguery. Even in peaceful societies, the politics of fear is leading to uh, dangerous polarization and demagoguery. And then in the article, he went on to talk about the world's most volatile flashpoints that became more unpredictable this year. He went on to talk about some nine to ten countries which are war-stricken. First, he talked about Iraq and Syria and the rise of ISIS. And then he talked about Turkey. If you remember, I think uh, around the turn of 2017, there was a bomb blast in Turkey and 39 people died. Then he went on to talk about Yemen, Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, South Sudan, Afghanistan, Myanmar, Ukraine, and Mexico. There's so much happening in the world around today. So much of war, so much of turmoil, so much of hostility, so much of bloodshed. And even the church is going through a lot of persecution as well. When you look at all of this, it sometimes overwhelms you and you begin to think, is God really silent? What's happening in the world? And this raises several significant questions in our minds. Where is the world headed today? Or will the world ever be put to rights? Or better, as Christians, what is the perspective that you and I as Christians need to have while we live in a world as dastardly as ours? What is the perspective that you and I as Christians need to have while we live in a world as hostile as ours? And thankfully, all of the answers are found in the Bible, particularly in the passage that was read out to us today. And Daniel chapter 7 records for us one of the most amazing visions in the Bible. It tells of a strange dream that Daniel had in about 553 BC, where God revealed to him in a vision a symbolic outline of the entire history of mankind right from Daniel's day right through the end of time. In fact, the one-time president of Dallas Theological Seminary, John Walwood, commenting about this passage said, the vision of Daniel in chapter 7 provides the most comprehensive and detailed prophecy of future events to be found anywhere in the Old Testament. This is the most comprehensive and detailed passage found anywhere in the New Testament about prophetic history. Many of the Jewish scribes, in fact, considered this passage as the greatest passage of the Old Testament. And uh, more often than not, the gospel writers quoted from this passage. We must understand this. And also, although much of the dream has been fulfilled, there are parts of it that are yet future to us, and we will look at that today. And if all of this needs to be taken literally, and I think it ought to be taken literally, Ray Stedman, in the end, will be proven to be true. And all of the promises that our politicians are making about Ache Din or good days 
all of these things, if they are true, will be seen to be a temporary respite in light of the trouble that's going to come upon the whole world as the Bible talks about it. So today's passage will reveal to us two things that you and I as Christians need to understand about the perspective we need to have in a hostile world such as ours. Two things that you and I need to understand as Christians as to how to live in this hostile world. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. I have, as usual, the outline here. And uh, please follow along. It's on. I think you need to open the laptop. Just bear with us, please. I need to put the outline up. All right. Okay, there it is. Verses 1 through 14. They say that you can be sure that God will directly intervene in history again. Did you hear that? You can be sure that God will directly intervene in history again. God is not silent. God is not hiding. There is coming a time when he will show that he is the victor. There is coming a time in the future when he will show that he is a victor. And that's exactly what Daniel saw in the vision that was given to him by God himself. Daniel saw that the brutal, destructive, temporary kingdoms of the earth are finally replaced by the orderly, eternal, and sovereign kingdom of God. And this vision, the first part of it has two parts. We'll go step by step. The first one, the ferocious beasts in the vision represented various kingdoms of the earth. The ferocious beasts in the vision represented various kingdoms of the earth. Verses 1 through 8, it was read to us earlier, so I'm not going to read the entire passage. I'll read some scattered verses. In this passage, I will read verses 2 and 3. Follow along, please. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. Now, before going any further, let me summarize for you the entire vision that was given to Daniel. One night, as Daniel was in his bed, he had a dream. And in his dream, there were certain visions that were given to him by God. He saw four, four spirits or four winds from four, four corners of the earth. They were whipping up the waters of the Mediterranean Sea. Then without any warning, four beasts came out of the sea and they came one after the another in succession. The first one was a lion with the wings of an eagle. And then the second one was a bear with, uh, with one side raised up and in its mouth it had three ribs. Then there was a third beast which was a leopard. And it had four heads and four wings as well. The fourth one was an unidentified beast. Um, Daniel could not identify it, but it was more terrible than the first three. And the fourth beast had iron claws and ten horns on its head. And as Daniel watched, there was an eleventh horn that came up. Eleventh horn that came and subdued and displaced three horns. And the little horn then began to boast about itself and began to blaspheme against God. That was the prophecy or the vision that Daniel had. Let me explain to you what this passage is. Daniel, first of all, saw the great sea. The great Mediterranean sea is what the vision says and how the vision begins. 
the sea in the scripture and in the near, uh, ancient Near Eastern thinking stands for the populace of the earth, the disorderly populace of the earth, the humanity or the mass of the earth. And the prophet here seems to be looking at the disorderly people of the Mediterranean world because the Mediterranean Sea is what is in view here. And the four beasts arising out of the sea represent four kings, and it also represents the four kingdoms that they rule. The first beast, here are the four beasts there. We'll look at all the beasts one by one. The first beast uh, looked like a lion, and it also had the wings of an eagle. It looked like a lion. It also had the wings of an eagle. Often, animals represent nations. Even in the modern-day world, eagle represents uh, America, bear represents Russia, dragon represents China. And so even in the ancient, ancient world, uh, the nations there had as their insignia some animals. As Daniel watched, something came and plucked away the two wings that this lion had. And this lion was made to stand up on two feet, and a human nature or a human mind was given to it. Almost all interpreters agree on the fact that this particular animal, lion with the wings of an, wings of an eagle, represents Babylon. In fact, at the gates of the palaces in Babylon, winged lions sat unguarded. And Babylon for a long time has, it, has had as its national emblems both lion and eagle. And so the first beast represents Babylon. Then there's a second beast that resembled a bear. It resembled a bear. And the Old Testament prophets, particularly the Old Testament writers, spoke of the bear as the most formidable beast of prey next to the lion in Israel. And so bear was a second animal that was, uh, that was seen by Daniel in the vision. And the bear appeared stronger on one side as it stood up. This most probably talks about the Persian part of the empire that was stronger in the Medo-Persian collaboration. And there were three ribs in the mouth of the bear. And the three ribs most probably stand for some three non-prominent, insignificant empires that the bear had conquered before it came and conquered Babylon. So the second beast represents Medo-Persia. Then there was a third beast, a strange one. And Bible scholars, both conservative and critics, clearly have identified this beast as Greece. It, it was a leopard with four heads and four wings as well. Leopards are less majestic than both the lions and the bears, but they're more ponderous. They have outstanding characters like their speed, their strength, and their cunning. And the four wings on the back of this leopard talks about the swiftness and the speed with which this leopard can go and conquer. So with the swiftness of a leopard, Alexander the Great conquered most of the Mediterranean world. He conquered right from Macedonia to Africa and eastward all the way to India. So the third, uh, third beast represents uh, Greece. And finally, there was another beast. You know, I couldn't get the picture better than this. So the fourth beast, it was unidentified. He couldn't compare that with any animal, but he said it was unique. It was dreadful. It was terrifying. It was extremely strong. He said it had iron teeth with which it chewed up when it attacked. And it also had strong feet that went and crushed everything that was left by the three previous beasts. And this fourth beast represents the Roman Empire. 
the Roman Empire gradually expanded throughout the Mediterranean world. And it became a powerful empire for almost about 800 to 1,000 years. And we must understand that there is no kingdom that came after the Roman Empire and conquered it. So it is fair to say, right from Daniel's day until now, there have been four major world empires. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Four major kingdoms. This is what Daniel saw in his dream and in his vision. It is useful for us, for our understanding in particular, to make a comparison between what Nebuchadnezzar saw in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel interpreted and for us to see what's happening today in today's passage in Daniel chapter 7. If you remember, in that dream, Daniel saw a huge, uh, sorry, Nebuchadnezzar saw a huge imposing statue. It had the head of gold, chest and arms of silver, the midsection and thighs of bronze, and then legs of iron, then the feet of clay and iron put together. It was almost like an amalgamation. Daniel went on to interpret, uh, uh, there was one more thing to the, to the dream. There was a small stone that was hewn out of a mountain, a rock. And that came and pulverized the feet of iron and clay. And that grew up into a huge mountain that filled the whole earth. When you compare that with this, you will find a lot of similarities. But first of all, let me remind you about the interpretation that Daniel gave of that particular statue that uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel said that Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold. And then the silver was the Medo-Persian Empire. Then the bronze was the Greece. And uh, the feet of, uh, sorry, the legs of iron was Rome. Then he did not identify the feet of iron and clay. But the mountain that came and hit the feet and pulverized it was the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom that grew out into the whole earth and filled the whole earth. Let's put the two dreams side by side and see the comparison here. Lion, that is Babylon, is a head of gold and bear Medo-Persia is uh, silver and then Greece, leopard, is the midsection of bronze and then Rome, you have the, 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 the legs of iron. We have a question here then. What about the feet that had ten toes? Now that corresponds to the ten horns of the beast in Daniel chapter 7. But we have another question that comes up when you look at this dream. In the dream in Daniel chapter 7, there was an 11th horn that came up, a little horn that Daniel talks about. And it came and subdued three kingdoms. That is not mentioned in Daniel chapter 2. It is only given to us as a specific revelation in Daniel chapter 7, and we must understand what it is. The identification of ten horns is a little difficult, but apparently most scholars agree that these ten, these ten horns represent ten contemporaneous rulers or ten contemporaneous nations. And I believe that these ten rulers are going to be end-time rulers. It is yet future to us. They're going to be end-time rulers or end-time nations which will somehow be connected to the old Roman Empire. How they're going to be connected, when they're going to rise, how it's all going to happen, it's all useless to speculate. I'm not a speculative Bible teacher. I'm just going to stick with what the Bible says and understand how far it goes here. Then Daniel noticed 11th horn. 
the eleventh horn came up and subdued three horns, is what the Bible says. This horn had human eyes and probably symbolic of intelligence and a mouth that spoke boastfully and blasphemed against God. Who was this? This is the Antichrist. We don't know who this person is. We don't know how this person is going to rise to power. We don't know how he is going to subdue three nations. We don't know when this is going to happen. But when the Lord Jesus Christ comes and before the Lord Jesus Christ comes, all these things are going to be more and more clear. So the ferocious beasts in the vision represented various kingdoms of the earth. Let's get back to our outline. The second one. The Son of Man was given sovereign power and an everlasting kingdom. The Son of Man was given sovereign power and an everlasting kingdom. Verses 9 through 14, let me read for you verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall never be destroyed. From what Daniel recorded, it seems very clear now that something happened in the courts of heaven. He saw thrones that were set up, and he saw God coming and taking his seat, and he was called the Ancient of Days. The title, The Ancient of Days, stresses on God's eternality. He is the eternal one. He doesn't have a beginning or an end. He always exists. And his pure white clothing pictures his purity and his holiness. And his pure woolly hair in apocalyptic language suggests his mature judgment. Then Daniel saw that his throne was blazing with fire, probably symbolic of knowledge and judgment and purity and holiness. And the wheels on the throne probably symbolize that the throne and God can go anywhere in any direction, which means he can he can choose to do whatever he pleases. He is all sovereign. And then there was a river of fire that was flowing out from before the throne outside, which means that it probably symbolizes the judgment that proceeds from God and the judgment that is pure and the judgments that, is, that are just. And the court seems to be a heavenly venue where God sits on the throne and he's judging all these kingdoms, all these nations based on, their, based on their deeds. And the boastful harm that came about kept attracting Daniel's attention, if you see in the vision. God passed judgment on the four beasts and all the horns that it contained as well. All of them were destroyed and thus the end of the fourth kingdom resulted in a new condition on earth. And that condition is called the messianic kingdom or the thousand year reign of Christ. Now Daniel saw something that happened in heaven. Now listen to me very carefully, please. There was something strange that was happening. One like a son of man was ushered into the courts of heaven. He was probably ushered in by the angelic attendants and he was ushered forward towards the throne room of God. The ancient of days then proceeded to give him all power, all dominion over all the earth. We must understand this. The one like a son of man is somebody who looks like a man, who represents man as well. But he is seen to be coming on the clouds of heaven. In other passages in scripture, God is the one who comes on the clouds of heaven, especially when he visits the earth. So this is somebody, this is a figure that you clearly see who has the characteristics of both man and God as well. And he is the God man. It's only later in the gospels 
it becomes very clear to all of us that it is talking about the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. And our Lord Jesus Christ used this title, the Son of Man, of himself more than he did any other title. Even the phrase, or even the title, Son of God. Now, this Son of Man became dominant in the entire vision. He was ushered forward, and he was given all glory, honor, power, so that he would rule the entire earth with his reign. He was to have a global reign over everyone, and furthermore, his kingdom would be everlasting. Nobody would destroy his kingdom, and none can succeed his kingdom. And so the Son of Man was given sovereign power and an everlasting kingdom. This is how history is going to play out. This is how kingdom will succeed another kingdom with bloodthirst and power and war and all of that. But at the end, God will intervene in human history and the Son of Man will reign for eternity. That is how history is going to play out. But with all of that that's happening in the world today, and with this chart or the compass that God has given us in his word, we must increase our confidence in the Lord and be patient for him while he acts. We must increase our confidence in the Lord and be patient while you wait for him to act. If the Lord can run human history, if he can topple nations, he can certainly run your life and mine. He can certainly run your life and mine. So in your own life, do not run ahead of God. Wait for God to act in your life. The psalmist says in Psalm 130 verses 5 and 6, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. And then he repeats that phrase, I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. You know, come to think of it, even in our modern day conveniences, we always wait for something or the other. We wait in an airport terminal. We wait in the grocery store. And in fact, since all of us are living in Bangalore, we wait for hours in traffic. There is something or the other we always wait for. This morning, some of you may be, some of you may be in, in a job situation that's really tough to endure. And you may be waiting for God to deliver you and for the conditions to change better. Some of you may be without a job and are waiting for the application that you put out on the internet. Maybe you're ill or your loved one is ill and you're waiting for your health to get better. Or maybe you're single and wanting to get married and waiting for the right person. Maybe you're waiting for your spouse to be more interested in spiritual things or your child to get interested more in spiritual things. Or maybe you're waiting for your friends in college to understand you better and start respecting you for your stance. I don't know what you're waiting for. Only God in his sovereignty will know as he looks into your heart what's happening in your life right now. But may I say this to you. The ability to wait on the Lord stems from the confidence and the focus that God is the one who is in control and it comes and stems from an understanding of who God is and what God is doing, as seen clearly in the word. It means confidence in God's person, confidence in his wisdom, love, timing, an understanding of our situation and that of the world as well. It means knowing and trusting in God's promises, God's power, God's purposes, and God's principles as well. God knows the future, 
because he's the God of tomorrow as well. So may I say this to you, trust in God and take heart because he will complete that which concerns you. Again, I'd like to quote Psalm 27, verse 14, where the psalmist says, wait for the Lord and be strong. Let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. So increase your confidence in the Lord and be patient while you wait for him to act. Increase your confidence in the Lord and be patient while you wait for him to act. In verses 1 through 14, we saw that you can be sure that God will directly intervene in human history again. Then there's a second thing that you and I need to understand regarding the perspective that we need to have as believers living in this hostile world. And that is in verses 15 through 28. They say that you will share in the triumph when Jesus Christ wins in the end. You and I will share in the triumph when Jesus Christ wins in the end. Jesus Christ will win in the end. And those who are joined to him by, by faith will share or partake in the victory. And that's precisely what we learn from this vision, the rest of the vision. Daniel was told that God's people would encounter hostility in the kingdoms of the earth, but would reign with the Son of Man in his kingdom. That again has two parts, and very quickly, let me go through it. The first one, the Antichrist would speak against God and wear down the saints. The Antichrist would speak against God and wear down the saints. Verses 15 through 25, let me read for you verses 19 through 22. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. While the, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the entire kingdom. Now, Daniel's vision here concerned the character of the little horn. It is clear that this little horn is speaking boastfully against God, blaspheming against God in his rise to worldwide power. Along the way, the vision also says that he persecutes all the saints. In the end, he will set himself up to be God and he will proclaim to be God as well and command all peoples to worship him. But in chapter 7, verse 25, Daniel is giving to us some cryptic reference to something. He says he will try and change the set times and laws. He will try and change the set times and laws. Now, no scholar really knows what this means, but this will involve some kind of an adjusting of time that the Antichrist might do. Perhaps he might reduce the week to a five-day week or a day to a 20-hour day or uh, a year to a 15-month year. We don't know what it is. This is just speculation. But all that the Bible says is that he's going to adjust the time, the set times, change the set times. He's also going to change the set laws is what the Bible says, which means that he is going to change the moral foundations of the society. When the Antichrist reigns, right will become wrong and wrong will become right. And moral values will be completely inverted as he makes his final mad bid for world dominion. Then there's a last phrase in chapter 7, verse 25. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. The saints will be handed over to him for time, times, and half a time. 
This evidently is referring to three and a half years. Now, if you remember, the tribulation is for seven years. And the saints will be handed over to him, particularly for the last part of the tribulation, which is for the last three and a half years. And he will have dominion over all of them until Jesus Christ returns for the second time to overthrow him. So the Antichrist would speak against God and wear down the saints. Secondly, God's people would reign with their Lord forever in his kingdom. You and I would reign with our Lord in his kingdom. Verses 26 through 28. But the coat shall sit down in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter to myself. Now this is the end of the story and all stories in the Bible end in the same way. Once the earthly kingdoms are taken away and the reign of the Lord comes, you and I will reign with our Lord Jesus Christ in the end. We will partake in the victory and we will partake in the triumph. This is the best news that we can get from Daniel chapter 7. This is the best news from Daniel chapter 7. Jesus Christ wins in the end and those who are joined with him by faith will share in his triumph. When Daniel looked at this, he was troubled. His color changed on his face probably because of the tough uh, vision that it is and the interpretation that it carries. But God's people would reign with their Lord forever in the kingdom. Again, in light of what has been revealed to us in the word, for the comfort of our own souls, you and I must remind ourselves that we belong to Christ and are on the winning side. As we go through troubles, as we go through all the tough times in the world, we must remind ourselves that we belong to Christ and are on the winning side. As the gospel song says, I've read the end of the book and we win. I've read the end of the book and we win. And that's certainly the final note that is given to us from this vision in Daniel chapter 7. Bad days are coming for planet Earth, like Ray Stedman pointed out, like others pointed out. But in the end, those who win are the saints with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a man by the name of Vernon Grounds. Uh, he shares an illustration about his seminary life. When he was in seminary, he said they didn't have a basketball court. And so in a nearby school, they went and they used to regularly play basketball. And there was a janitor who used to take care of the compound. And although he didn't have to do it because he was a believer, he was a kind-hearted person, he used to wait until all these boys were done playing basketball. And then he used to lock up the premises and leave. But while the people are playing basketball, all the time, this man is sitting and reading the Bible. And so Vernon Grounds goes one day with his friend, and he says, uh, he calls the janitor by name. He asks him, what are you reading? He says, I'm reading from the book of Revelation. And he's a seminarian. He's puzzled. Even we don't understand most of Revelation. Certainly my professors don't. And uh, what are you understanding? You are an uneducated person. And this janitor says, I understand the book of Revelation. And uh, they ask him, uh, Vernon Grounds and his friend, they ask him, can you summarize for us in one statement what the book of Revelation says? And the man looks at him and says, in the end, Jesus Christ will win. In the end, Jesus Christ will win. That 
And Vernon Grounds goes on to say this, that's the best commentary I've heard on the book of Revelation. It is absolutely biblical. It's absolutely biblical. And I find great encouragement in the words of the song. You know, we sing this often, great things he has taught us, great things he has done, and great are rejoicing through Jesus the Son. And then listen to the last two sentences. But purer and higher and greater shall be our wonder, our transport, when Jesus we see. That's when all the answers come to all of our questions, to all of our troubles, our wonder, our transport, when Jesus we see. Today, God is laying his hands upon each one of us. He sees us in the midst of swirling, fighting, bloodthirsty nations. Politically, so much happening in India as well. He sees us in our confusion and in our frustration. And he knows we are easily baffled by our circumstances. We are anxious. And in the midst of all that is happening around us, God is asking us to look up to his throne. To look up to his throne. And when we look up to his throne, we will understand that our redemption is near. Our redemption is near. He will coming back, and the one who is coming back will come back soon, and then we will reign with him forever. Remind yourself that you belong to Christ and are on the winning side. So what's the point of this morning's sermon? The whole chapter basically says this, that God will directly intervene in human history, and when he does, we will share in his achievement. God will certainly intervene in human history one day. When he does, you and I will partake in the victory. This is our hope for the future. We who have joined ourselves with Christ by faith will reign with him, and he will win the victory. And in his kingdom, we will partake with him. Thank you for your patience, and let me just finish with a final illustration. Polycarp of Smyrna, the Bishop of Smyrna, he was brought before the Roman authorities and told to curse Christ or else die. And so Polycarp, he was 86 years old then, he said this, 86 years I've served him and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme against my Lord? 86 years I've served him and he's done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme against him? And the Roman officer replied, unless you denounce Christ, unless you blaspheme against his name, I will burn you. You will have to be burnt. Polycarp said, you threaten a fire that burns for an hour and after a while is quenched, but you're ignorant of the judgment that comes and of everlasting punishment that that is uh, reserved for the ungodly. Do what you wish is what he said. And he went on to die a martyr's death. Polycarp knew this very well, that he will reign with Christ in the end and he was going to have the last laugh. And that's why he died a martyr's death. Thank you again for your patience, and let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for your word, a word that always gives us hope and encourages us because you run history, you run the nations in their courses, and you're the God of tomorrow as well, Lord. And in spite of all that's happening around the world today, and even in our lives as well, Lord, we are thankful that you control everything, you ordain everything, and you're our God. And above all of that, we know that we will reign with you in your kingdom when you topple all nations and come as a victorious one. 
We want to thank you once again for assuring us of such a victory that will be yours and ours in the end. Thank you again, O Lord, for your word, and we submit the rest of the activities of today into your hands. We pray that your word will continue to speak to us, even in our fellowship. In Jesus' name.